Shalom, brothers and sisters. I'm Brother Sid. I have Brother Joshua assisting me today. We have a detailed lesson prepared for our brothers and sisters internationally. The title of today's lesson will be Kingdom Theology, the Theology of the Kingdom, brothers and sisters. One thing that we've learned by examining the Israelites and examining the Christian churches, most of our people have gotten far away from what Christ's directives were, brothers and sisters. We've begun to create our own doctrines and create our own theologies, brothers and sisters. And here at the Commandment Keepers Church, what do we try to do? We try to mirror what it is that Christ taught and how Christ taught it. So today you will learn the theology of the kingdom to come, brothers and sisters. We're going to start at Luke, the fourth chapter, the 43rd verse, brothers and sisters. Please follow us there. Luke 4 and 43. And he said unto them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also. For therefore am I sent. For what? For therefore am I sent. Here it is. Christ doesn't want you to guess his primary objective, brothers and sisters. He tells you right here why he was sent. See, many people don't even know this. I ask a Christian or even an Israelite, why was Christ sent? <laughs> Read 43 one more time, brother. Verse 43. And he said unto them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also. Why? For therefore am I sent. Reading, brothers and sisters, if you look at it closely, we're reading that which would be the highest priority for the followers of Christ. This is what should be the highest priority because Christ is telling you, I must preach the kingdom. Why? Because that was the reason I was sent. So the core message that Christ peddled was the kingdom of God, brothers and sisters. Are you seeing that? Many people don't know this. I encourage all people to go read the Gospels again. Our people, especially Israel, we try to stick in the Torah. We try to stick in the Tanakh. We try to stick with what? We try to go all into the Apographer, right? So guess what? The least written, the, the least read part of the Bible is the most important part, which is what, brothers and sisters? It's Christ's life. See? It's his ministry. I encourage each one of you to go read the gospel again and see how many things you actually missed, brothers and sisters. There's a wealth, an incredible wealth of information hidden within the, the literature that is called the gospel, brothers and sisters. We wanted to start first showing you what Christ's primary concern was, what his primary objective was. And what was that, Brother Joshua? Verse 43. And he said unto them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for therefore am I sent. For therefore he was sent, for that reason, brothers and sisters. Now let us show you something. Let's go to Luke, the second chapter, the 40th verse. We're going to read 40 through 43. Because I, I need you to really examine Christ, brothers and sisters. Luke 2, verse 40. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Speaking of Christ. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. Here it is. Christ grew up doing what? Celebrating the Passover. Verse 42. And when he was 12 years old, 
they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. After the what, brother? The custom of the feast. Continue. And when they had fulfilled the days, as they returned, the child Christ tarried behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother knew not of it. So here it was, Christ and his parents went to uh, the Passover feast. And once that feast was over, uh, after the Feast of Unleavened Bread was over, because that's connected to the Passover, Christ tarried behind in Jerusalem. He stayed behind, and his father and mother knew it not, brothers and sisters. Jump to verse 48 and 49, brother. Verse 48. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Read that one more time, brother. Why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrow. Now, brothers and sisters, if you examine it closely, read the entire chapter of Luke 2. Christ went missing, brothers and sisters. He went missing and his mother and father could not find him for quite some time. And when they did find him, this is what transpired. Read 48 one more time, brother, please. Verse 48, And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. What did he say? And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wish ye not that I must be about my father's business? Be about what? My father's business. So look at that. Christ embodied singularity and purpose and clarity and priorities. He was 12 years old saying this, brothers and sisters. So Christ knew from a youngster, he knew what his focus was. You see that, brothers and sisters? From 12 years old up until the age where we read before, <laughs> when we were reading in uh, Luke 4 and 43, when he was an adult, brothers and sisters, he knew his purpose was what? To preach the kingdom of God. And guess what? The absence of priority causes a person to drift through life without purpose. And we've learned that nothing is more tragic than a life without purpose, brothers and sisters. The absence of priority results in preoccupation with the unimportant. So Christ knew at 12 the reason for his coming. To bring forth the doctrine of the kingdom. Brothers and sisters. Now there's something key I don't want Christians to miss. Read 48 again, brother, please. Verse 48. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold. Behold thy, what? Thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. Thy stepfather? Thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. Here it is. Mary's telling you that Joseph is his father, brothers and sisters. His physical father. Now, of course, the Most High is our heavenly Father. But Christ's physical Father, as Mary is saying here, is who? Is Joseph. And I think Mary would know who the father of her child is. So for some Christian or someone else to come and say, well, nah, she really meant stepfather there. <laughs> or, yeah, Joseph really, he just stepped in. Nah. Because that's not what Mary said. All throughout the scripture, you can find detail within the gospel what Joseph was the father of Christ. So Christ was the son of Joseph. Even out of Mary's own mouth here, she said, why have you gone missing? Your father and I have sought thee sorrowing. We thought we lost you. And he returned and said, don't you know I have to be about my father's business, my heavenly father's business? So he knew this at 12, Christ was dropping this. See, 
So you have to know the priority, brothers and sisters. You have to separate the primary from the ancillary. Let's go to Matthew 13 and 10, brother. Listen closely, please, brothers and sisters. Matthew 13, verse 10. And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speaketh thou unto them in parables? He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. So here it is. The disciples are asking, Why when you're speaking in public do you speak in parables? Read that one more time, brother, the answer. Verse 11. He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But but whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away even that he hath. Continue, brother. Therefore speak I to them in parables. Why? Because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not. Neither do they understand. Now listen, look at look at this, brothers and sisters. He's saying, I speak in par- he speaks in parables to challenge us to seek the deeper meaning of things, brothers and sisters. This is one of the the tougher texts to break down. We're going to help you read verse twelve again, brother. Verse twelve: For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But so who? But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away, even that he has. So, brothers and sisters, what is he saying? It's our commitment. It's our commitment, brothers and sisters, that results in us being given greater understanding. So he said, it says, for whosoever hath, to him shall be given. And he shall have more. But whoever does not, I'm taking away what he already has. So what is he telling you? He's saying it's our level of interest or lack thereof that will determine what we receive. Brothers and sisters, we're we're reading the framework for a backslider here. See, teaching in parables both put the truth in front of people and keep them from fully understanding it. For example, brothers and sisters, we all know, you know, that you need an engine in your car in order to drive. Now, the question is, how does the engine work? None of us know because we really don't care that much. We just know I need to put gas in my car and drive. See, do you understand, brothers and sisters? We all know that gas, we need gas in our car to move. Do any of you know why do you need gas? What qualities or elements in gas actually get the car in motion? No. Why? Because you really don't care as long as it works. (laughs) See? So that's what Christ is showing. He said, I give them parables. Why? Because if they're really interested, they'll go find the answer. See? You see that, brothers and sisters? Who Read it one more time, brother. Verse 12. Take your time, please. Matthew 13, verse 12. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given. Whoever has interest. And he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not. But what? But whosoever hath not... Hath not what? No desire for spiritual knowledge. From him shall be taken away even that he hath. See? So he who hears with the ear and applies with the heart will receive more. But those who just hear and don't really care, not really interested, 
what he already have will be taken from him. That's what Christ is dropping here, brothers and sisters. Continue, brother. Verse 13. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they see, they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. See, so he's telling you those who are interested will be given more. Those who are really not interested, they're just listening and really don't care, though. Just listen to listen. I'm going to take away, he said, I'm going to take away that little understanding that they already had. And we used it, right? We use the analogy of how an engine works. Usually the people listening to our podcast don't know how to put an engine together from scratch. We don't care to put an engine together by scratch. We just know I need an engine in my car and I'll put gas in it and I'll drive. But guess what? If you were really interested in knowing how an engine works, you would go look at that, right? You would go find out, right? Exactly. So we find out what we're interested in. See, you seek out what you're really interested in. And Christ is saying, so those who are really not interested, I speak for parables for them. Because they, I want to, you know, I want to separate those who are really not interested and those who are hungry. Because those who are hungry will seek the answer, either through scriptures, going to a person that can help them break it down. They don't just hear it and then walk off and not think of it again. See, this is why Christ spoke in parables. Let me show you. Let's go to Isaiah, brother. Let's go to the Tanakh. Isaiah 44 and 3. What does that say, brother? Isaiah 44, verse 3. For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty. Who? Him that is thirsty. And floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed. And my blessing upon thine offspring. Now, what is this talking about, brothers and sisters? Water. The seed. Remember, Mark 4 said, once the seed is sown, a couple things can happen. The, the seed can be sown on dry, you know, on good ground, soft soil, on hard ground, or it can be sown on gravel where the birds come and just, you know, pick up that seed. Why? Because it's telling you that that seed can be choked by the cares of the world. So, so Isaiah is telling you the most I will pour water on that seed that you have, that little seed of what the truth is and the knowledge that brought you to the truth. He said, I'll put water on that seed, right? I will put water on that seed, and what will happen? Read verse 4, brother. Verse 4, And they shall spring up as among the grass, as willows by the water course. Now look at this, brothers and sisters. So not only is he talking about your physical seed, but he's talking about the seed of the truth. Brothers and sisters, you link that with Mark, the fourth chapter, and what you're reading here is the promise of living water is only to him that is thirsty. Brothers and sisters, nothing can stop us from receiving except ourselves. Brothers and sisters, the spiritual outpouring is only prohibited by our lack of interest in yielding. This is why he speaks in parables, brothers and sisters, because, you know, most people don't really care enough to even if they know somebody who may can help them, go ask them or to look into it themselves or go into the Hebrew or the Greek. They don't really care like that. They're just there. So he said, I'm going to speak in a way in which those who are not really thirsty do not understand. And I'm going to force them to go find out if they're interested. See, brothers and sisters. 
Let's go to Isaiah 9 and 6, brother. Because a lot of these things that we're going into today, the church doesn't care anything about. Israelites don't care anything about. They, they work on what they care about. So therefore, the commandment keepers, we have to bring forth this information for our brothers and sisters. We have to. Isaiah 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. What shall be upon his shoulders, brother? The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now, brothers and sisters, if you examine the sixth verse in the ninth chapter of Isaiah, the text prophesies of an earthly government established by Christ. Okay. Read the next scripture, brother, verse 7, please. Verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even, so, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Read the first part, brother, of seven. First part of seven. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. There shall be what? No end. So there it is. The more Christ's government increases, the more peace there will be, brothers and sisters. We're reading about a one world order whose domination will not be diminished, brothers and sisters. See? It said Christ will come with a government on his shoulders. And the increase of his government shall increase peace. And it shall never be diminished. Brothers and sisters. So the question is, alright, Christ brought a government with him, right? Okay. Well, where did this government begin? And how will it be increased? Let us show you. Brothers and sisters, let us show you. Let's go to Matthew 16 and 18. Matthew, the 16th chapter. The 18th verse. Read that, brother. Matthew 16, verse 18. And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against thee. Now remember, brothers and sisters, our question was what? Where did his government begin, and how will it be increased? Read that one more time, brother, because what we're reading is the, the first recorded utilization of the express term church. Verse 18. And I say unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. I will build my what? Church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Brothers and sisters, you will not find this word church in the Bible any, anywhere before Matthew 16 and 18. So let us show you what church is, brothers and sisters. Let us show you that because many people, you know, don't have the full comprehension of what church meant to Christ. All right. So we're going into the Greek to look at that word church, brothers and sisters. We're going to look at that word church. We're going to pull up Matthew 16 and 18, brothers and sisters, and we're going to look at that word church. And that word is the Greek number 1577. And the word wasn't church. It was ekklesia or ekklesia, brothers and sisters. So the word church was trans or the word church was translated from ekklesia, 
brothers and sisters. Ecclesia, you really have to get, uh, you need to become, you need to be able to remember that term, brothers and sisters. You need to be become comfortable with using that word, brothers and sisters. And we're going to show you why. That first word church in the Bible actually was Ecclesia, brothers and sisters. Now, we're going to go to the secular sources of what Ecclesia was, brothers and sisters. Ecclesia. We're going to Webster's Dictionary, brothers and sisters. We're going to go to Britannica, brothers and sisters. We're going to type in Ecclesia, which is E-C-C-L-E-S-I-A. Ecclesia, definition one says what, Brother Joshua? A political assembly of citizens of ancient Greek stat states. Now, it says what, Brother? A political assembly of citizens of ancient Greek states. Now, brothers and sisters, this is Merriam-Webster, 1828. Ecclesia is a political assembly of citizens. That term was used by the Greeks. So why is Ecclesia in the New Testament? Remember, the New Testament was translated out of Greek. So church was really a political assembly of citizens. It was political, brothers and sisters. It was not religious. Christ was not religious. None of the Israelites were religious. This is political. This is policy that we're discussing right now. Further proof, brothers and sisters. Here it is. We have another dictionary. And it tells us that Ecclesia, E-C-C, L-E-S-I-A, which the word church came from, is a general assembly of citizens for political purposes. A general assembly of citizens for political purpose. And that, and that word came from the Greeks. The Greeks used that terminology. See? So, remember, the question was, where did Christ start his government at? He started his government in Matthew 16 and 18 because the word church is actually a political term, brothers and sisters. It has nothing to do with religion. See? We're going to break it all the way down, brothers and sisters. You have to get familiar with ecclesia. You need to get familiar with that term and that meaning of ecclesia. Because if you don't understand what church is according to God, according to the Bible, you'll get... You'll get Tossed to and fro following these non-denominational churches or denominational churches. Church is, pol is political. It's government. Christ's government. The government of the kingdom. Brothers and sisters, let us show you. We're going back to Matthew 16 and 18. Now that we know that that word church translates to ecclesia, which is what? It's a political term. It's a political gathering of citizens, brothers and sisters. Read verse 18 again, please, brother. Matthew 16 and 18. And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. I will build my what? My church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against thee. So we've, we've already established that that word, church, was first used. In Matthew 16 and 18. Then we took that word church and looked at it in the Strong's Concordance. Looked at what word was there before it was translated into English, which was church. And what word was there? Ecclesia, brothers and sisters. And then what did we do? We took the word Ecclesia and looked it up in a secular source. What did it mean? It meant what? 
It meant a gathering of citizens for a political purpose. So that's what church is. It's a gathering of citizens for a political purpose, brothers and sisters. Church is a political organization operating under a legislative power, brothers and sisters. A political party of diplomats operating on the behalf of a government, brothers and sisters. And guess what? This interpretation proves a corruption of religious ideology, brothers and sisters. See that? Church is not religious at all. That term was political. This was where Christ's government started. As Isaiah 9 and 6 said, when he came, he had a government on his shoulders. And the increase of his government increased the peace on earth. So who's responsible for helping increase this government? Read verse 18 again, brother, please. Verse 18. <clears throat> and I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And the what, brother? The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That means you cannot prohibit the increase of his government by burying people. See? He's saying you killing people, you killing ambassadors is not going to stop his government from growing, brothers and sisters. And now we understand what being ambassadors means. <laughs> See, ambassador is a governmental term. Look it up, brothers and sisters. In what government do you belong to? We're seeing it here. Isaiah 9 and 6 said he was bringing a government with you, with him on his shoulders. And then we see that he established his government or his political party. Where? In Matthew 16 and 18, brothers and sisters. Church is not religious. We are not religious people. All religions are false. Every last one of them. We believe in history. The Bible is a history book. Okay? That speaks of times in history that can be proven in secular history. Like Alexander the Greek, Julius Caesar, or Herod the Great. All these people you can find in secular sources, brothers and sisters. This book is not religious. This book is the history of the children of Israel that went through the four major empires. It went through the, the Persian, Medes, the Babylonian captivity, the Greek captivity. The Roman captivity, all of that history is documented in the book that you call the Bible, brothers and sisters. And this is a higher level learning that we're dealing with today, brothers and sisters. The person just coming off the streets who, you know, is still, you know, just learning, they may not fully grasp this. But I encourage you to always take your notes and come back to it, brothers and sisters, because this is a higher level and an advanced academy today. Brothers and sisters, and where do we start? First showing you that Matthew 16 and 18 is the first time in the Bible the word church was utilized. And that word in the Greek was ekklesia, which is a, a gathering of citizens for a political purpose. Let me show you, brothers and sisters, because I don't want you to just believe me. Let's go to Romans 16 and 5, because we have to prove that. We have to prove that the church is not the building, <laughs> the, the cathedral. Romans 16 and 5, brother. Romans 16, verse 5. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Read that again, brother. Greet the church that is in their house. Where is it at? In their house. Now look at that, brothers and sisters. Because the church was not a building. 
It was a gathering of government officials. <laughs> See, he said, greet the church that's in your house. <laughs> Why? Because the church is a political gathering of citizens. See, brothers and sisters, <laughs> the church is wherever the ambassadors meet. Do you understand that, brothers and sisters? Read that one more time, brother. Verse 5. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Now look at that. The church is to be the most highest agency on earth, brothers and sisters. Not to establish a religion, but a governing influence in a specific territory. He said, greet the church that's in their house. Now, brothers and sisters, after that, it says, salute my well-beloved Epinatus, who is the first fruit of Achaia under Christ. So then he starts to, to name the people that are the church, <laughs> name the government officials, Epinatus and Achaia. The, who are these people? <laughs> these people are government officials. Whose government? Christ's government. See, we learned politics from the Bible. Okay, we didn't learn politics from, uh, from you know, from these universities. The Bible teach you politics. It tell you the history of politics. It tell you the future of politics. It tells you or teaches you the motive behind politics. So Christ said, I'm bringing my government. Where does my government start? My government starts with the church. The, the church is a gathering of government officials discussing policy. That's what we do on, our, on this channel, on this broadcast. Everything we're speaking of is policy, brothers and sisters. This is not about religion. Let's go to Colossians 4 and 15, further proof of what church is. Colossians chapter 4, verse 15. Colossians 4, verse 15. Salute the brethren which are in Lodatia and Nifemus, and the church was in, which is in thy house. And the what? And the church which is in his house. Read that again, brother. Verse 15. Salute the brethren which are in Lodatia and Nyphus, and the church which is in his house. <laughs> now, look at this. There it is again. <laughs> it had nothing to do with a denominational affiliation or brick-and-mortar building, brothers and sisters. The church building is not the church. The building is, a, is government property. <laughs> See, any building that the quote-unquote church, which is government officials, are in, that's government property, brothers and sisters. You see that? See, when the delegates meet, brothers and sisters, just thinking of America's uh, government, when Congress meets, brothers and sisters, Congress is not the building. Congress is the people, no matter where they meet. And wherever they meet, that particular building becomes government property. So the church is where what? Where the diplomats meet to discuss kingdom policy. That's where you are right now listening, brothers and sisters. You are a diplomat discussing kingdom policy amongst ambassadors. We are ambassadors. You are an ambassador, brothers and sisters. And we are discussing Kingdom policy. Diplomacy is our expertise. See? 
The church is the administrative arm of the Most High's government on earth. That's what church is. I don't know what Christians are teaching out there. I don't know what other most Israelites are teaching out there. This is not a religion. This is a government. This is government here. We have rules, right? Not only do we have rules, we have federal holidays, right? <laughs> we got all this. <laughs> See, we also have a king or president. Who's that? Christ. You see? The church is not a building, brothers and sisters. The church is a gathering of political purposes from citizens of a particular government, no matter where it's at. Okay? So we can be out in the middle of a desert <laughs> in a circle with 50 brothers discussing kingdom policy. That's church. It's a gathering of government officials, whether it's inside, outside, at the pool, at the mall, doesn't matter. This is kingdom talk, okay? This is kingdom theology. In order for you to understand what Christ's purpose was, you must first learn what church is, <laughs> okay? You first need to learn what church is. Let's go to let's go to Ephesians 5 and 14, brother, because now that we understand we're ambassadors and we understand that church, by definition, ecclesia, has nothing to do with religion, but has everything to do with what? The gathering of government officials discussing kingdom policy. You first need to know what? You need to know rights and responsibility now. <laughs> See if you're an ambassador who's part of Christ's government, you need to understand what your rights are and what your responsibility is as an ambassador for who? For Christ's government, brothers and sisters. Okay? Let's read Ephesians 5, 14 through 17, brother. Ephesians 5, verse 14. Wherefore he said, Awake thou that sleepeth, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee life. This is a call to slumbering souls, brothers and sisters. Men asleep and dead in sins are called to awake. Could you read that again? Verse 14. Wherefore he said, Awake thou that sleepeth, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. And what? And Christ shall give thee light. So Paul communicates a concept of receiving light only subsequent to our alienation from sin. How do we know? He said, awake that sleepeth, then arise from the dead, and then Christ shall give you a light. So you first have to wake up to what you're sin <laughs> before you're given light. You understand? See that? Arise from the dead. That means apply the call. Continue, brother. Verse 15. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. So you have to walk circumspectly, not as who, brother? Not as fools, but as wise. Continue, brother. Redeeming the time, because the days are evil. See, so this is a call to walk mindfully, brothers and sisters, and solicitous, lest we fall into sin. See? Walk prudently, mindfully of consequences, excuse me, mindful of consequences, brothers and sisters. Read that again, brother, please. 14? Yes. 
Ephesians 5 verse 14 Wherefore he said, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumpectly, not as fools, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Redeeming the time, brothers and sisters, to redeem is to reclaim by price or recover by labor, brothers and sisters. He's telling you, regain the time you have lost. Why? Because it's here supposed that time is precious, brothers and sisters. See that? Continue, brother. Verse 17. Wherefore be ye not unwise. Do what? Therefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. See? So we must use prudence and diligence to savor the time that remains, brothers and sisters. Are you seeing? We had to first show you what church is. Okay? This is not about a religion, brothers and sisters. Because... What religion was Christ? <laughs> what denomination was Christ and the disciples? Because even with Christianity, you got Pentecostals, Baptists, non-denominational, Catholic, uh, Lutheran. <laughs> I keep going, brothers and sisters. I'm like, where are any of these? Where are the Baptists at in the Bible? Where are the Lutherans at in the Bible? Hmm? Where are the non-denominational at in the Bible? Where are the Catholics at in the Bible? See? So they've actually taken Christ's doctrine and done what? And corrupted it. See, brothers and sisters? The enemy, the Romans, the Edomites, that's over theology, brothers and sisters. What did they do? They understood that Christ's doctrine was going to tear down their power. So they said, you know what? We can't fight Christ and his doctrine because it's truth. We'll have to absorb his doctrine. We'll have to absorb his, you know, his organization. So after they killed him, brothers and sisters, they understood that, remember, Matthew said that the gates of hell would not prevent the increase of the government. So that means even killing Christ would not stop the increase. So they said, all right, this is what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to absorb Christ's teachings and become the authority of his teachings so we can then teach against it. Because if we allow these people, especially the children of Israel, to learn on their own, they're going to find the truth. They're going to find God. So we have to become the authority of it, even though we don't believe in Christ. Even though we hate Christ, even though we hate his people, we have to become the authority of it. So then we can dis we can delegate what should be taught. <laughs> you see that, brothers and sisters? I, I mean, I know. It's, it's, uh, it's demonic, their plan, brothers and sisters. It's heinous. But it was genius. They knew the only way to fight off Christ and the truth was they had to become the authority of his teachings and then say, well, no, nah, uh, go to church on Sunday <laughs> or not. Nah, you know, Christmas is Christ's birthday. You can eat pork, crab, shrimp, lobster. Well, actually, brother, you need to celebrate uh, Easter instead of Passover. See, all of that was established by the same people who are the authority of this doctrine. We come to find out they're not the authority of Christ's teachings. We are. When I say we, the Israelites. You are. Should nobody, no white man or Asian man or African be trying to be the authority over our, our, over our book? Okay? Because you're not going to go into Rome and start teaching as a black man or an Asian, oh yeah, uh, Roman history. Let me teach their history. 
So don't think you're going to come amongst a bunch of Israelites and become the authority over our history books. The same way you wouldn't go into Asia as a black man or a white man and become the authority over their history. Teach them. You're not going to do it here. You can come amongst us. We love all people, Jews, Gentiles. But we're the authority. The Israelites are the authority. Now, if I want to learn Roman history or something, yes, I'm going to go listen to a white man break that down for me. Okay, if I want to learn about, you know, Asian history, the Japanese or the Samurais and Kangas Khan or any of this stuff, guess what? I'm going to go to them and I'm going to learn from them because it's their history. So we just had to break it out, brothers and sisters. We are the authority. Christ's doctrine have been left to his disciples, which are Israelites. And we have many Gentiles who learn from us. And that's good because they can take what they've learned from those who are the authority, which are Israelites, and go share that word like it's never been shared before. I know many personal, personally, I know many Gentiles who are taking this doctrine that they learned amongst the children of Israel and sharing it with their family. And their family is like, where are you getting any of this? We have never heard this before. We know because no one can teach the book like the person who's in the book. Nobody can break down the book like the children of Israel because it's ours, brothers and sisters. And what are we showing? We're showing you that church is really a political, it's, it's a political term. It's a gathering of what? Political officials. Let's go to Timothy, brother. Four and two. Second Timothy, that is. Second Timothy. Chapter four, verse two. 2 Timothy 4, verse 2. Because you have to know, as government officials, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. We're reading God's desired will for his political appointees. See, now that you understand this is political, brothers and sisters, what is he doing? He's putting the emphasis on preparation and performance. Let us show you. Continue, brother. Verse 3, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Read verse 2, brother, please. Verse, verse 2, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. Be instant in season and out of season. That means be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. See? Continue. Reprove, rebuke. Exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. So we're charged to be pressing or urgent in the performance of this work, brothers and sisters. This is a call to what? To attentiveness towards the work of the ministry. Because he said you need to be ready to preach the word in season and out of season. So it may not be a good time for you, right? You may be in a rush or, or whatever the case may be. You may be caught in a sin. <laughs> because he said be instant in season and out of season so your behavior should be one that which at any time you can break down this word for a person you see he said reprove which is to you know reprove teach what's right rebuke correct exhort you know uplift people be long-suffering and the doctrine so guess what this is your responsibility as a government official Understanding that church is actually a governmental, a political term. It has nothing to do with religion. Let's go to 2 Timothy 2 and 15. 
Because here it is, brothers and sisters. It's coming out today. 2 Timothy 2, verse 15. Study to show thyself approved on a God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Rightly what? Dividing the word of truth. See, so the author demands our, our diligence to our ministerial office, brothers and sisters. We are to endeavor in cultivating and improving our biblical comprehension because you're part of a government. So if you're part of a government, if you're a government official, an ambassador, then you may want to know about the Constitution. You may want to know about how <laughs> your government operates, right? <laughs> Read that again, brother. Verse 15. Study to show thyself approved on a God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So, brothers and sisters, diplomats must fully understand the fundamental principles of doctrine. That's why I said study to show yourself approved. Why? So you can divide the word of truth. The Most High gave us his word so we would know how to live in his kingdom. Brothers and sisters, the necessities required. See, this is for diplomats. I'm only speaking to kingdom diplomats today. Brothers and sisters, if you don't understand, you know, if this is too much for you, you think churches should be religious and, and religion and all that, well, hey, you can, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Right now, we're talking to, we're talking about policy. We're talking to who? We're talking to political forces. This is a political party. Those of us who follow this, the Bible, as it is written. We're part of a political party. We're not, uh, you know, what do they call them? Um, Democrats, Republicans, and what, all that, what, everything they got. No, we are our own political party, brother. We're the Israelites. We're the believers of Christ. We're the true Illuminati. Those who can see in, see in the darkness. That's our political party. Christ said, I established a government with Peter. See? We're not part of a religion. Let's go to Mark, brother, because he gave us the word to do what? To teach us how to live in his kingdom. And guess what? If you're going to be a part of his government, you may want to know this. We're going to go to Mark 12 and 41, brothers and sisters. Now, if you would like God to increase you, you must increase what you know about money from a kingdom perspective. So we're going to learn a little bit about what, brothers and sisters? We're going to learn a little bit about kingdom currency. Because why? You are a diplomat of the government, so you might want to know about this type of thing. All right? Let's go to Mark 12 and 41 through 44. Mark 12, verse 41. And Christ sat over against the treasury... And beheld how the people cast money into the treasury, and many that were rich cast in much. Many that were rich cast in much. But there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make a, a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples, and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. Now, brothers and sisters, we need you to examine the sacrificial posture of this woman's heart, brothers and sisters, because it says she cast in 
two mites. That means she she pretty much threw in the smallest uh, increments of money that there was, brothers and sisters. Read that one more time, brother. Read it from 41. Verse 41. And Christ sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury. And many that were rich cast in much. So here it is, brothers and sisters. In order to understand this, you must know that the purpose of this passage is to explain what true discipleship looks like. Christ said he stood next to the treasury and he saw many people cast in or many rich people cast in much. So the rich gave out of their abundance. Continue. Verse 42. And there came a certain poor widow. And she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples, and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast more in, than all they which have cast into the treasury. So here it was, this sister was poverty stricken, yet withheld nothing. Continue. Verse 44. For all they did cast in of their abundance. But she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. See, so look at that. She gave out of her insufficiency. They gave out a surplus. You see that, brothers and sisters? Even though, you know, she she actually gave in less money than they did, it was a greater percentage of what she had. Do you understand that, brothers and sisters? And Christ was breaking this out. He was bringing this out because her behavior revealed her faith in the Most High God. She knew that God owned it all, brothers and sisters. So you have to learn what? You have to learn how the kingdom operates when it comes to finances. Giving is one of the best ways to change your financial future, your financial destiny, brothers and sisters. This is how the kingdom works. You must know this if you're going to be a diplomat, if you're going to be a part of Christ's government. You see that, brothers and sisters? You must know how the money works. Let's read it from the top, brother. Straight through. Mark 12, verse 41. And Christ sat over against the treasury, and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury. And many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples, and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of want, of her want did cast in all that she had. She cast in what? All that she had, even all her living. So look at that, brothers and sisters. You see this? So Christ said that this sister gave more than the rich people. Why? Because according to the Most High's train of thought, it's not how much we give that matters. It's how much you kept for yourself that matters. See? So this sister gave everything she had, even though it was like, you know, <laughs> it was like a dollar, brothers and sisters. That was the only dollar that she had. Then you had these brothers who were millionaires giving a thousand. Yeah, a thousand is a lot, but not compared to how much you kept for yourself. See? So we're showing you kingdom currency. How does this operate? How does this operate? We must know this as a diplomat of Christ's government. 
Let's go to Deuteronomy 18 and 18. Excuse me, Deuteronomy 8 and 18. Listen closely, brothers and sisters, because we're dealing with the resources. We're dealing with the finances first. Deuteronomy 8 and 18. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that hath given thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he sware unto thy fathers. As it is this day. As what? As it is this day. Every follower of Christ needs to be aware of this principle. Brothers and sisters, prosperity is specifically described as not resulting from our own efforts. Read that again, brother, please. Verse 18. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. For what, brother? For it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. That he may establish his covenant, which he swear unto thy fathers, as it is this day. See? So, brothers and sisters, the acquisition of wealth is a right only fulfilled when subsequent to obedience. Okay? This is our constitutional right. That's why it's, brothers and sisters, that's why it's called common wealth. Because the wealth is common to everyone. That's what common wealth means. <laughs> See? He said, it's a covenant that I can give you wealth. That's part of the covenant, okay? He said, remember though, it's me that give you the power to get wealthy, okay? And when I allow you to get wealthy, it's because I'm establishing the covenant that I swore to your father, Abraham. And you see that, brothers and sisters? So you have to understand how the resources work, okay? How the purse strings work in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of heaven, brothers and sisters. Why? Because it's a contrasting kingdom. Satan have his own kingdom, brothers and sisters. This is not Satan's kingdom. This is the kingdom of the Most High. And this is how it operates. And guess what? You, as a diplomat, as an ambassador of Christ's government, part of his ecclesia, you must know this. You must know how the resources work. Let's go to Matthew 10, brother. Because learning from Christ is the best place you can learn, brothers and sisters. Matthew 10 and 7 through 10. Matthew 10, verse 7. And as ye go, preach, saying... Saying what? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Here it is, Christ telling them to preach the kingdom of heaven. Verse 8. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead... Cast out devils. Freely ye have received, freely give. Provide neither gold, nor silver, nor brass in your purses. Read that again. Provide neither gold, nor silver, nor brass in your purses. He said, you don't need, to, you, you don't need gold and silver and brass while you're doing my work. Read. Verse 10. Nor script of your journey, neither two coats. Neither shoes, nor yet staves, for the workman is worth of his meat. For what? For the workman is worth of his meat. Look at this, brothers and sisters. According to the principle of provision, his ministers are entitled to support. Okay? Laborers in God's harvest are entitled to provisions for maintenance. We're going to read it again from the top. Listen to this closely, because diplomats must understand how the finances work. Matthew 10, verse 7. And as ye go, 
preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely ye have received, freely give. He's saying, listen, you got the truth for free. You don't sell the truth, okay? You don't do this for money. Brothers and sisters, we don't do this for money. We've never asked any person in all the years that we've put our blood, sweat, and tears in this work for somebody to give us some type of money. Never. Because we received it for free and we're going to freely give it. Continue, brother. Verse 9. Provide neither gold nor silver nor brass in your purses nor scrip of your journey. So he's telling you, you don't need this. While you're doing my work, don't take gold, silver, brass, nor script for your journey. He's saying, I'm sending you out there into the harvest. I will provide everything you need. You don't need to worry about gold and silver. You don't need to worry about money. You don't need to worry about, it says, two coats and shoes. He's saying, you don't need anything extra. Why? Read the last part, brother. Verse 10. Nor script of your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet staves. For the workman is worth his meat. So a workman is worth his meat. See, that's his living, brothers and sisters. See that? So he's saying, listen, you don't need to worry about all this stuff, okay? Because I'm going to make sure you're provided for. See that? A diplomatic laborer of the harvest is worthy of his support, brothers and sisters. That's what Christ was dropping here. A government is required to provide provisions for their political attendees, Okay? So when China have their ambassadors in America, guess what? Everything's paid for by their government. Their hotels, their lodging, you know, uh, their travel, their food. They got company credit cards and all this. Christ is telling you same thing with my government. You work for me. You don't need gold, silver, brass. You don't need a script for your journey. You go do what I said. I'll make sure you have it. See that, brothers and sisters? So you have to understand how the kingdom works as kingdom diplomats, as ambassadors. This is how it works, brothers and sisters. Now, are we telling you that don't go make no money, don't go get a job? No, we're not saying that. We're saying that when the Most High send you a place to do some work, money is, not, is the least of your worries, okay? Because the Most High said that if you're doing His work, you're worthy of your hire. You're worthy of being supported. See, as long as you're doing his work, the support will come. Let's go to 1 Timothy, brother. 5 and 18. 1 Timothy, the 5th chapter, the 18th verse. 1 Timothy 5 verse 18. For the scriptures say, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. And what? And the laborer is worthy of his reward. Brothers and sisters, we would never work our animals and not feed them. Why? Because it would diminish their effectiveness, right? So the emphasis, the text emphasizes the financial support that political ambassadors are entitled to. It says, read it one more time, brother. Verse 18. The scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox, that out the corn. So an ox was something that actually worked for you, that helped you uh, make money and live. Continue. 
and the laborer is worthy of his reward. So it's saying you would never muzzle an ox that's actually working for you, right? You need to feed the ox so the ox can stay strong and continue to work for you. And the labor is worthy of his reward. So there's always a requirement of provision to be provided for the laborers, brothers and sisters. Laborers, according to this text, have a right to resources so that we might continue in the work. See that, brothers and sisters? Do you see that? Because I've, I've heard many brothers, many, many brothers tell me, you know, years ago, well, yeah, you know, the work, it takes money. So I'm going to go get the money, brother. And then I'm going to bring the money back and we're going to do this thing. And I'm like, well, brother, I don't need your money. I need you. Okay? Because guess what? I, that's the last time I've seen these brothers. Each time, I, you know, they're gone <laughs> in the wind somewhere. Okay? Now, yes, it does take money to do the work, but I'm not going to leave the work to go get the money. <laughs> the money will come to us if it's the most high's will, as it always has, brothers and sisters. You shall not muzzle the ox that tread about the corn. And what is he saying? He's saying that our labor is worthy of a reward. Because how can we continue to do this work if we can't live? See? Let's go to Jeremiah, brother. Let's go to the Old Testament. Jeremiah 15 and 11. I hope you brothers and sisters are learning because if you're a government official, a diplomat, then you got to understand all this. You must be well-versed with the Constitution. This is the Constitution. Jeremiah 15 and 11. The Lord said, Verily it shall be well with thy remnant. Verily I will cause the enemy to entreat thee well in the time of evil and in the time of affliction. Read that again, brother, please. Listen closely to brother Joshua's words. Verse 11. The Lord said, Verily it shall be well with thy remnant. Verily, it will Verily I will cause the enemy to entreat thee well in the time of evil and in the time of affliction. Brothers and sisters, he's telling you he'll cause our enemies to treat us well when we need it. The Most High can speak to the hearts of our enemies and make our foes to favor us. Brothers and sisters, the Most High will cause our enemies to show us kindness in our days of affliction. What do you think happened with the Underground Railroad? Those were white people whose houses we were sneaking, you know, sneaking to at night. See? So here it is. The Bible's telling you, if you're doing my work, you will be provided for, even if I have to use your enemy. See? A wise man gets more use from his enemies than a fool from his friends, brothers and sisters. The Most High can use a former enemy in a way advantageous to your prosperity. He said, listen, I will use the enemy to treat you well in your time of affliction. See that? He's telling you, brothers and sisters. Church is what? Ecclesia. What is Ecclesia? It's a gathering of government officials discussing policy. That's what church is. That's what it should be. I don't, I mean, these Christian churches, these other churches, 
That's not government. They don't. <laughs> I don't know what that is. That's a, you know, that's a gathering of atheists, pretty much people who are not following God's laws at all. People who actually use the Bible to say you don't have to follow the Bible. <laughs> that's not what this is here. When you come to our broadcast, brothers and sisters, you are part of our government. You are a government official here to learn about government policy. And we're going to make sure you do that. And let's go to Matthew, brother. Let's go to Matthew 17 and 24. Because we're talking about the resources, the money. You have to know how this works. Matthew 17, verse 24. Let's read 24 through 27, brother. And when they were come to Capernaum... They that received tribute money came to Peter and said, Did not your master pay tribute? So here it was. They were talking about taxes, the tax collectors. They asked Peter, uh, Does your master, does Christ pay tribute? Continue, brother. Verse 29. He saith. No, 25. Oh, sorry. Verse 25. He saith, Yes. And when he was come into the house, Christ prevented him. Saying, What thinkest thou, Simon? Of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute? Of their own children or of strangers? Peter said unto him, Of strangers. Christ said unto him, Then are the children free? Now, this is deep here, brothers and sisters. I really need you to examine this because somebody asked Peter, Does your master pay taxes? Peter had to say yes, because if he would have said no in front of an Edomite or a Roman, a person collecting the taxes, they would have took that as disrespect. They would have went back to the season. They would have went back to the king and said, yeah, that that uh, that Yeshia, that Christ, he doesn't pay taxes. He doesn't respect you. So here it was. They were already trying to catch him up. Peter said, well, yeah, he pays he pays taxes. And when Christ got him alone, he asked him, Simon, Peter. Who do, you know, who do the kings of the earth take taxes from? Their own children or for strangers? He said, well, strangers. Christ said, okay, well, are we free then? Because see, he needed to show that our people were not free, yet they thought they were. <laughs> Same way today, brothers and sisters. You're being taxed, that you're, you're, and you're free? Not according to Christ. Not according to Christ. Read verse 25 one more time, brother. Verse 25. He saith, Yes. And when he came into the house, Christ prevented him, saying, Saying what? What thinkest thou, Simon? Of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute? Of their own children or of strangers? Peter said unto him, Of strangers. Christ said unto him, Then are the children free? Notwithstanding, least we should offend them. So Christ says, since we uh, we don't want to offend them, go thou to the sea and cast a hook and take up the fish that first cometh up. And when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money that take and give unto them for me and thee. So look at that, brothers and sisters. Christ said, listen, go catch a fish, open the mouth, of that fish and then take that money and give it to him. Pay for you and me. Why? Because Christ was not going to make a public, you know, he wasn't going to publicly pay the kingdom 
in front of the disciples, paid the kingdom that he came to tear down. So he said, listen, I don't want to offend him, but I'm not pulling money out of my pocket. You go out there, open up a fish's mouth and you give him that money. <laughs> so what's the principle? The principle is that the most high will supply whatever resources are appropriate for his representatives. Brothers and sisters, the coin in the fish's mouth anticipates the climactic supply for kingdom representatives. Brothers and sisters, this miraculous provision of the most high symbolizes the privilege of a kingdom diplomat. You see that? <laughs> he told him to go, go, you know, go catch a fish. I got some money in, in the fish's mouth. I'm not taking money out of my purse. You go get that money and you give it to him. See? So the emphasis is on the bounty of the Most High's resources and his willingness to supply. He can give you money from anywhere. See? The miracle emphasizes the divine resources given to his government officials. Who are his government officials? The church. Ecclesia. See, we're learning about the finances. We're learning about the resources because diplomats ought to know about the resources. Let's go to 2 Kings 4, brother. Because we're teaching you the principles on how to operate, how kingdom currency works. 2 Kings, the fourth chapter. We're going to read 1 through 7 because what you'll learn, brothers and sisters, or what you will learn, is the most high's abundance begins with managing that which you have already been given. So you have to know this, brothers and sisters. We've already broke it down. We've showed that the most high says if you're doing his business, you will be provided for because a worker is worthy of his hire. We also showed that he can give you money from anywhere, including your enemy. And now he's going to teach you a principle about management. Brothers and sisters, we're going to read 2 Kings chapter 4, 1 through 7. This is during the time of Elisha. 2 Kings 4, verse 1. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead. So here it was. You had a certain woman um, who came to the prophet Elisha. Who was Elisha? Elisha was... Um, the the young brother that worked under Elijah, he was the mentee. He was the mentee of Elijah. So first there was Elijah, and then there was Elisha. So here it is, Elijah's gone. Elisha is still here as a prophet of the Most High. And thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord, and the creditors come to take on him my two sons to be bondmen. So here it was, a sister is saying, Elisha, my, my husband is dead and I, I owe creditors money. So they're going to come take my sons to be slaves. Verse 2. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Now here it is. The Most High's miracles don't work unless you tell him what you need. He doesn't just help you out, brothers and sisters. You must tell him. You must humble yourself. Pray to him and say, Father, I can't do this without you. This is what I need. Christ, nor the disciples, nor any of the prophets just offered up healings. Go listen to our lesson, the partnership between heaven and earth, for you actually to understand what's transpiring within this text. 
Read that one more time, brother. Verse 2. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in the house? And she said, Thy handmaid had not anything in the house, save a pot of oil. So Elisha said, Okay, um, what do you have in the house? She said, I don't have much. I only have some oil. Then he said, Go, borrow thee vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels. Borrow not a few. So he said, Go get as many vessels or vases that you can find. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and shalt pour out into all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. Now remember, the first thing he told her was to go to all of your neighbors and see if you can get some empty vessels. Get something to hold this oil. Get as many as you possibly can. And then what did he say? Read verse 4, brother. Verse 4. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and shalt pour out into all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. So she went from him, and shut the door upon her, and upon her sons, who brought the vessels to her. And she poured out. So here it is. She has the vessels now. She's doing what he said. And it came to pass, when the vessels were full, that she said unto her son, Bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, There is not a vessel more, and the oil stayed. Now, brothers and sisters, there's something critical here. Because I need you to look at this closely. Because there's a, there's a principle here that you better learn. If you want to succeed, brothers and sisters, I had to learn this. The very first thing Alicia told her to do was to go get as many vessels as you can to fill up with oil. And then once she had those vessels, she said, okay, now go in that room, close that door. Take that one vessel of oil you already have and pour it into all the other. So here it is. She's taking the one vessel she has and she's filling up all these other vessels, brothers and sisters. And then what happens? When she had no more vessels, let us show you. Read verse 5 one more time, brother. Verse 5. So she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons, who brought the vessels to her. And she poured out. Read. And it came to pass, when the vessels were full, when all her vessels were full, that she said unto her son, Bring me yet a vessel. Bring me one more of those vessels. And he said unto her, there is not a vessel more, and the oil stayed. And what happened? The oil stayed. And the oil stayed. So look at that, brothers and sisters. What we learned is that as long as she had the capacity to manage the oil, the oil continued to, to flow. It was once she no longer had a vessel to fill up with oil that it says the oil stayed. So what is this telling you? This is telling you that the Most High God will keep from you what you're unable to manage. As soon as her capacity of jars was used up, the oil ceased to flow, brothers and sisters. You see in that? The oil stopped multiplying when she no longer had the capacity to capture it in jars. So as your capacity increases, so does the blessings in your life, brothers and sisters. The first thing Alicia said do was get as many vessels as you possibly can. Because why? He understood the principle of if you don't have the ability to manage the blessing, the blessing will stop. So she probably had nine or ten vessels, right? 
She probably had nine or ten vessels she was able to borrow. She took the one oil that she already had and filled up all nine of those vessels. She went to fill up a tenth one, but had no more vessels. And the oil stopped. It stayed, brothers and sisters. You have to learn this as a diplomat of Christ's government. You have to learn how the resources work. You have to learn how the money works. Okay? We're showing you that what? In order to increase, what has to happen, brothers and sisters? In order to increase, you must be able to manage that increase. And without that management, the blessings will stop. We just learned about how the economy works. The kingdom currency works. How does the money operate, right? How does the provisions operate, right? Because why? Diplomats need to understand this. And so we first dealt with what? We dealt with the provisions. We dealt with the kingdom currency. We dealt with the money, right? Now we have to deal with what? The health. We have to deal with healing in the kingdom. How does healing or health work, brothers and sisters? Because why? This is our campaign. See? It's just like Republicans and Democrats, right? They they say, well, listen, this is what we're going to do, you know, with our campaign. And, you know, during our time in office, these are the things that, you know, we're going to work on. We're going to bring jobs. We're going to we're going to, you know, make sure people, you know, don't aren't able to pick guns up without ID, all that. Right. This is us, brothers and sisters. All this information is how we make our campaign to unbelievers. See, this is what we show them to get them to vote for Christ. Okay? If you're going to be an ambassador, if you're a part of his political party, you must understand his mindset. See, so we're bringing to you what we would bring to a brother or to a sister to get them to vote for Christ. Not vote for Donald Trump or Barack Obama or Joe Biden. Listen, if Christ is not on the ballot, I'm not voting. But nevertheless, I am an ambassador as Christ, such as you, or just like you. And this is the information you bring to those who need conversion. Let's go to Ecclesiasticus 30 and 14. We're going to the Apocrypha, brothers and sisters. Ecclesiasticus, the, 13th chapter, the 30th chapter, the 14th through 17th verse. Ecclesiasticus 30, verse 14. Better is the poor, being sound and strong of constitution, than a rich man that is afflicted in his body. Health and good estate of the body are above all gold. Are above what? All gold. And strong body above infinite wealth. There is no riches above a sound body. Read that again. There is no riches above a sound body and the joy of the heart. Death is better than a a bitter life or continual sickness. Read that again. Death is better than a bitter life or continual sickness. It says death is better than a continual sickness. Brothers and sisters. So here it is. First thing we must do is understand sickness. See? So if you're going to understand how Christ's kingdom works and you are what? You're a part of his political affiliation. Then you have to know about the health care. <laughs> See, we dealt with the economy. Now we have to deal with the health again. <laughs> See, we're campaigning for Christ. That's what ambassadors do. That's what government officials do. 
So now we're going to talk about the health care. Understanding that the Bible says death is better than a continual sickness. We have to now attack the health care to show the non-believers, the unconverted, how the health care works in this kingdom system. This, this is theology. This is the kingdom's theology. Biblical theology. Let's go to Luke, brother. 13 and 11 because we first have to understand sickness if it tells you that sickness or uh, continuous sickness is worse than death then we have to understand it let's go to Luke you're going to do you're going to learn a lot today brothers and sisters I hope you're taking notes Luke 13 verse 11 read all the way through 16 please brother and behold there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years. Right there. That's the first thing. Read that again, brother. Verse 11. And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity. Had a, what? A spirit of infirmity. Had what? A spirit of infirmity 18 years. And was bowed together. And could in no wise lift up herself. Now that's the key. The spirit of infirmity, if you can first identify it as a spirit, right? If it's a spirit, then you know there's a spiritual fix. If it's a spirit problem, there's a spiritual cure. You see that? So the first thing we're going to help you do is identify sickness, brothers and sisters. Continue, brother. Verse 12. And when Christ saw her, he called her to him and said unto her, unto her woman, Thou art loose from thine infirmity. He said what? Thy, thou art loose from thine infirmity. Satan will use sickness to disable us so that we're spiritually bound, brothers and sisters. Verse 13. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. And the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, because that Christ had healed on the Sabbath day. And said unto the people, There are six days in which men ought to work, and them therefore come and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. So here it is, brothers and sisters. See, this is religion right here. <laughs> this was religion. These were religious people saying, You can't heal this sister on the Sabbath. She could have been healed six other days. See, that's religious people right there, brothers and sisters. They would have rather her stay sick. So they can make money off her. She's been sick for 18 years. 18 years. And now that this sister has been healed and freed from bondage. They say, well, hold up. You healing her on the Sabbath? <laughs> See, that's over-righteous right there. That's over-righteous. See? Read, brother. Verse 15, please. Luke 13 and 15. The Lord then answered him and said, Thou hypocrite, doth not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to watering? So do you feed your animal on the Sabbath? If your car fell in the ditch, would you not pull it out on the Sabbath? And on not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound. Whom what? Satan hath bound. See, sickness is how Satan binds you. Lo, these eighteen years... Be loose from his from this bond on the Sabbath day. Brothers and sisters, examine verse 16, because I need you to see what Christ did here. Verse 16. 
And not not this woman being a daughter of Abraham. Being who? A daughter of Abraham. Christ reverted right to contract. See? He went straight to contract saying, being a daughter of Abraham, she has a right to be healed. <laughs> See? He was dealing contractually here, brothers and sisters. Are you seeing this? Because the first thing you must do with this health care plan is understand it. You have to understand what sickness is. We've already established, according to Luke 13 and 11, it's a spirit. Sickness is a spirit, brothers and sisters. And verse 16 tells us it's a spirit that Satan uses to do what? To subdue us, to keep us bound, brothers and sisters. Let's go to James 5 and 14, brother. Going to the New Testament here. James, the fifth chapter, the 14th through the 16th verse. James 5, verse 14. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Continue. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Brothers and sisters, I need you to examine the language closely, okay? Read that one more time, brother. Verse 15. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins... And if what? And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Brothers and sisters, the language presented implies that the cause of the affliction could be sin. Not that it was, but that it could be sin. It says, if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. So it's telling you what? Sickness sometimes comes from sin. And once you're forgiven, there's a healing that can take place. Read the next scripture, brother. Verse 16. Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another, that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now that's key too, because now it's telling you a couple things. It's telling you that sins, transgressions, unforgiven sins, many times bring sickness. And then it also tells you confess faults to one another. So if you've done wrong against a brother, you've done wrong against a sister, and you refuse to clean that up, you refuse to apologize. You refuse to repent. That can bring on a sickness. See that? Because it said the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. See, you first have to understand sickness. We're going to show you how to understand this. This is the health care of Christ's kingdom. Okay? Let's go to Ecclesiasticus, brother. 38 and 9 because we first wanted to show you that even James said that it's possible that sickness is coming from sin. See? We're giving you the education. Crisis health care plan. We're giving it right now. Ecclesiasticus 38 verse 9 My son, in thy sickness be not negligent, but pray unto the Lord. And he will make thee whole. Brothers and sisters, the word negligence highlights that there is a preferred course of action. Look at it again. 
Verse 9, My son, in thy sickness be not negligent, but pray unto the Lord, and he will make thee whole. Now look at that, brothers and sisters. It says, in thy sickness be not negligent. That means that there's something you can do. <laughs> Are you seeing that? The command to not be negligent means there's an appropriate response to sickness. We'll see what it is. Continue. Verse 10. Leave off from sin. Do what? Leave off from sin. What's the first thing you do? Leave off from sin. And order thy hands aright. And cleanse thy heart from all wickedness. Now remember, Christ gave us the authority, the power and authority over sickness. He told us to heal, right? Cleanse lepers, all that. So when it says, be not negligent in thy sickness, that means there is something you can do when you're sick. See? No longer be a victim. Like they they make us believe when we go to the doctors, well, you know, only thing we can do is just pray on it, you know, and give you this, uh, you know, shoot this radiation up in you. Well, no, hold up. There's something I can do. The number one thing I can do is what? Read verse 10, brother. Verse 10. Leave off from sin. That's the first thing you can do. And order thy hands aright. And cleanse thy heart from all wickedness. Showing you that sickness many times, most times, comes from sin. Brothers and sisters. And refusal to examine thyself in sickness is regarded as negligence. <laughs> See, that's why I said, don't be negligent concerning your sickness. Leave off from the sin. Because if you continue in the same sin that brought you the sickness, that's called negligence. The most I said, don't eat pork for a reason. Because it's going to give you high blood pressure, right? Worms and all types of stuff. Heart disease. He said, don't eat the crab, the shrimp, the lobster, the stuff that eats the trash on the bottom of the sea floor for a reason. Brothers and sisters, do you understand that? Because see, you have to understand this in the kingdom. And especially for the ambassadors, especially for the diplomats. The diplomats must understand the health care plan. Okay? Let's read it again, brother, please. Nine or ten? Yeah, nine and ten, please. Ecclesiasticus 38, verse 9. My son, in thy sickness be not negligent, but pray unto the Lord, and he will make thee whole. Leave off from sin, and order thy hands aright, and cleanse thy heart from all wickedness. Jump to verse 15, please, brother. He that sinneth before his maker, let him fall into the hand of the physician. Let him what? Fall into the hand of the physician. Read that again, brother. He that sinneth before his maker, let him fall into the hand of the physician. So you see that, brothers and sisters? <laughs> Disease is a direct derivative of sin, brothers and sisters. And by not addressing the spiritual cause of many illnesses, they go untreated. He said, he that continued to sin before God, let him fall into the hands of a doctor. See that? See, we're, we're dropping it here. This is Christ's health care plan. Stay away from sin. Stay away from sin. If you're already sick, the first thing you have to do is cleanse your hands. Put the sin down. Okay? That's the first thing you can do. That's the first thing you need to do. And then you go into prayer. You go into fasting, brothers and sisters. The first thing you do is walk away from sin. Brothers and sisters, please follow us to the book of Matthew. 
the seventeenth chapter, the fourteenth through the twenty-first verse. So what we showed, brothers and sisters, that Ecclesiasticus of Sirach thirty-eight, it showed that what sin many times is the cause of sickness. You don't just get sick for no reason, brothers and sisters. Okay, and there's a way in which you can be negligent with that sickness if you don't what if you don't put the sin down. Okay. So first we had to establish that. We had to first establish that sickness is a spirit. And also that the cause of it a lot of times is sin, breaking God's commandments, okay? Because see, this is Christ's health care. This is his health care package. We're breaking it down. You're speaking with politicians. We are the politicians for Christ, brothers and sisters. We are the diplomats for Christ. So this is our campaign, okay? We want you to vote for Christ. Let's go to Matthew 17 and 14, brother. Matthew 17, verse 14. And when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man, kneeling down to him and saying, What did he say, brother? Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is lunatic and sore vexed. For oftentimes he falleth into the fire, and off into the water. So here it was, a, a, a father came and spoke with Christ and said, My son has the spirit of a lunatic. Okay? This spirit causes him to hurt himself, try to drown himself or burn himself. This is what demons do. Continue. Verse 16. And I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. So here it was. He brought him to the disciples. The disciples couldn't even cure this brother. Then Christ answered and said, What did he say? O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. So Christ was almost, I mean, he was like, <laughs> to his disciples, I mean, haven't you been listening? Haven't you been learning? Bring the boy to me. <laughs> the brothers, the, the disciples over there sweating and all that. They've been praying for five, six hours. <laughs> They've been praying for five, six hours. No demon come up. Christ is like, bring the boy to me. Continue. Verse 18. And Christ rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. So Christ immediately rebuked the devil, showing you what? Christ didn't ask him his symptoms. He knew it was a demon. See that? So you have to first know that it's a spirit. See, because if you don't know what you're fighting... It's going to be hard to win that battle. See, Christ was able to identify it the first time with the spirit of infirmity with the sister 18 years. Here it is again. He said he rebuked the devil. He didn't ask the brother his symptoms. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't care about any of that. He knew it was a demon. He rebuked the demon and the child was cured. So you first must know that, brothers and sisters. You must first be able to identify sickness as a demon that comes from sin. Read that one more time, brother, please. Verse 18. And Christ rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. Continue. Then came the disciples to Christ apart, and said, Why could we not cast him out? So, in private, they came to Christ and said, well, Why couldn't we do this? Christ answered, said unto them, What did he say? Because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, if ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence 
to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. So he's telling them, it was because of your faith, or lack thereof, I need you to look at the next scripture, brothers and sisters, because the next scripture is one of the most important scriptures in the entire literature. In fact, a lot of this scripture that we're getting ready to go to, Matthew 17 and 21, it was taken completely out of the NIV and the ESV. It's not even in there, brothers and sisters. If you have a physical copy of the NIV or the ESV or any of these other translations, this actual scripture is not even in the Bible. Read that, brother, please. Verse 21, how be it, this kind goeth out, but by prayer and fasting. Read that again. How be it, this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. This kind of demon or spirit cannot go out unless it's by fasting and prayer, brothers and sisters, showing you that certain spirits, certain demons can only be cleansed by fasting. And see, Christ always fasts. So he was able to pray this demon out. The disciples were not fasting. But here we wanted to show you that all sicknesses can be cured. All of them. This is your trump card. This is your draw four. This is your big joker. Fasting and prayer. Fasting meaning what? You put nothing into your vessel. You starve the demon out. See, that's the, that's the key. You need to know it's a demon. Why? So you can starve that demon out. By not eating anything, not drinking anything, that demon will leave. And because why? It's insatiable. It it wants somebody that's gonna feed it, whether that's drugs, drinking, alcohol, food. So you gotta starve that demon out. Christ is telling you certain spirits, certain sicknesses can only go out by fasting and prayer, brothers and sisters. That's what you need to know. That's a part of the healthcare plan. You need the trump card. You need the ace. You need the ace of spades. You need the big joker, which is fasting in prayer. Starve that demon out. You can go days without eating food. Maybe just a little water, maybe no water at all. And it's guaranteed that any demon will flee. It will have to. Christ was dropping it so much so that they took this scripture out of the Bible in the, in the, H in the NIV. Go get a physical NIV. Go to the bookstore. Don't even buy it. I wouldn't buy it. But open the book up and go to Matthew 17 and 21 and tell me if it's there. Because it's not. Brothers and sisters, never ever forget what you just learned. Never forget that all spirits, all sicknesses can be healed by fasting and prayer. You have to fast, brothers and sisters. You have to starve the demon out. You have to starve that demon out. Just like gluttony and a lot of these things. That's a demon. So guess what? If you starve that demon, that demon will flee and go somewhere else where it can, you know, where it can partake. See? If you vote for Christ's kingdom, then you understand all of these. Now you understand the inner workings of the finances, of the kingdom currency. You're also learning about healing and health care. See? Let's show you. Let's go to Isaiah 58. Because we're talking about that fasting. Fasting is instrumental in healing, brothers and sisters. We're at Isaiah 58. We're going to read 6 through 11. Isaiah 58, verse 6. 
Is not this the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness. To loose the bands of wickedness. Look at this. So fast. <laughs> loose the bands of wickedness. Remember. Satan had the sister bound for 18 years. Bound. Read that one more time brother please. Verse 6. Is not this the fast that I have chosen. To loose the bands of wickedness. To undo the heavy burdens. To what brother? Undo the heavy burdens. And to let the oppressed go free. And that ye break every yoke. This is how you break the yoke, brothers and sisters. See, this is how you take off that heavy, heavy burden. This is how you loose the bands of wickedness. Continue, brother. Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry? And that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house. When thou seest the naked, that thou cover him. And that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh. So here it is. It's telling you in conjunction with your fasting, this is how you amplify it. So here it is. You're seeing fasting in conjunction with what? <laughs> with philanthropy. He's telling you this is powerful. Read, brother, please. Verse 8. Then shall thy light break forth as the morning, and thine health shall spring forth speedily. And thy health what? shall spring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go before thee, and the glory of the Lord shall be thy reward. Now look at this, brothers and sisters, because he said initially in verse 6, this was the fast that I've chosen to loose the bands of wickedness. And in verse 7, it talked about not only while I'm fasting, I'm helping feed the homeless, I'm helping out the less fortunate. In verse 8 said, when you do that, what happens? Verse 8. Then shall thy light break forth as the morning. Then the light comes. And thy health shall spring forth speedily. Speedily, see? And thy righteousness shall go before thee. The glory of the Lord shall be thy re reward. Continue. Then shalt thou call, and the Lord shall answer. Thou shalt cry, and he shall say, Hear I am, if thou take away from the midst of thee the yoke, the putting forth of the finger, and speaking vanity. Read that one more time, verse 9, brother. Then shalt thou call, and the Lord shall answer. Thou shalt cry, and he shall say, Here I am, if thou take away from the midst of thee the yoke, the putting forth of the finger. And speaking vanity. Now here it is, brothers and sisters. It's telling you closely, clearly, excuse me. Fasting gets the most high's attention. That's how you get his attention. In conjunction with your philanthropy. See, what you're trying to do is plead to him. This is how you cry out. You say, Father, I will starve my... Not really starve yourself. I, I, that's, that's a little much, but... I will subject myself to not drinking and eating so I can get your attention, Father. I will not eat anything. I will not drink anything. In fact, I make some people, they stay away from internet, they stay away from TV, all this stuff. Because it's not good enough just to fast. You have to change. You can't do the same thing while you're fasting. You're changing everything up. Not only are you eating, but now you're hitting, you know, you, you're going to pass out some food. Or you got some gift cards for the homeless. Or, or whatever the case may be. 
Read verse 10, brother. Verse 10. And if thou draw out thy soul to the hungry, and be satisfied the afflicted soul. And satisfy the afflicted soul. And satisfy the afflicted soul. Then shall thy light rise in obscurity, and thy darkness be as the noonday. So, not only do you do this, brothers and sisters, you hunger yourself, and then you go feed those that are hungry. Are you seeing that, brothers and sisters? <laughs> Isaiah is dropping it right here, brothers and sisters. <laughs> See? He said, well, listen. In order to amplify the power of this fast, you go a few days without eating, but at that same time, you go to those who haven't been eaten and it wasn't by choice. And you go feed them. Read verse 11, brother, please. Verse 11. And the Lord shall guide thee continually and satisfy thy soul in drought and make fat thy bones. And thou shalt be like a water garden and like a spring of water. Those waters fail not. Who's what, brother? Whose waters fail not. Are you seeing this, brothers and sisters? <laughs> Are you seeing this? I don't want you to forget where we started. Where do we start? Read verse 6 again, brother. Because I don't want them to miss this again. Um, verse 5, actually. Verse 5. Is it such a fast that I have chosen? A day for a man to afflict his soul. Look at this. See? It's afflicting your soul, brothers and sisters. That's what a fast is. So we're telling you, or we're not telling you, we're showing you that Isaiah is saying, you loose the bands of wickedness by fasting, brothers and sisters. And not only fasting, you do what? You help the less fortunate, brothers and sisters. So remember, Christ in Matthew 17 said certain spirits, certain sicknesses only go away through fasting and prayer. So you're getting the keys to the kingdom here, brothers and sisters. Now you're learning the secrets that Satan never wanted you to know. Why? Because he uses sickness to put shackles on you. Because all of us, everyone knows that when you're not feeling well, nothing matters. You don't want to do anything. And he knows that. So he would rather keep you sick. And Sirach said that what? A perpetual sickness is worse than death. So what? We, you, we are the ambassadors of Christ. We are his politicians. We represent him. And we are here to give you the information needed to heal yourself. To heal your mother. To heal your father. To heal your aunts and uncles. We are Christ's government officials. And we're delivering the message. Vote for Christ. Let's go to Tobit, brother. Let's go to the, uh, the Apographer. Followers, brothers and sisters, to your Apographer. Tobit, chapter 12. We're going to read 8 through 10. Tobit 12, verse 8. Prayer is good with fasting and alms. Alms, what's that? That's philanthropy. And righteousness. A little with righteousness is better than much with unrighteousness. It is better to give alms than to lay up gold. For alms that deliver from death. Look at that. <laughs> He's saying your philanthropy deliver from death in conjunction with your fasting. And shall purge away all sin. Now look at that. This is a way in which you can cleanse yourself, brothers and sisters. It's not saying you can go do purpose sins and then go out and... 
you know, give to the homeless. That's not what that's saying, brothers and sisters. It's telling you that when you've done something, right, you've done something, you know you made a mistake, then the Most High is saying, listen, you can fast and you can go help out the less fortunate, okay? Lose some of your money. Lose some of your time for the less fortunate. Go help somebody. Read that again, brother. Verse 9. For alms doth deliver from death and shall purge away all sin. Those that exercise alms and righteousness shall be filled with life. But they that sin are enemies to their own life. Now look at that. Because we're reading the kingdom principle for effective fasting, brothers and sisters. The most effective fast is one supplemented with philanthropy. Okay? When fasting is coupled with philanthropy, an augmentation takes place. Brothers and sisters, what are we reading here? We're reading a kingdom principle for application. See? Who are we? We're ambassadors for Christ. We are the diplomats for Christ's political party. This is Christ's campaign that we're dropping today. This is Christ's kingdom. Who will you vote for? Will you vote for the, the, the kingdom of this world? Or the kingdom of Christ? See? This is Christ's health care plan. See? The first thing he did was he identified the spirit or, or the sickness as a spirit. That's the first thing he did. He said you need to identify it as that first. Because if you know if it's, if you know it's a spiritual problem, then you know it's a spiritual answer. Okay? Because why? You can't give a pill to a demon. That's what they're trying to do, brothers and sisters. <laughs> they're trying to give a pill for a demon. No, that doesn't work. All right? Let's go to Job 13 and 4, brother. Because we've dealt with what? The kingdom currency, the resources, the provision. We needed to know how Christ was going to provide, right? And then we dealt with what? The health care. Okay? Read uh, Job 13 and 4, brother. Job 13, verse 4. But ye are forgers of lies. Ye are all physicians of no value. He said you're what? Physicians of no value. Now look at that. He said these are physicians of no value. Of no value for who? For us. <laughs> because why? They're forgers of lies. Meaning they'll create a lie, right? And then they'll give you a they'll create a diagnosis and then write you a prescription for something that really does not exist. They got you on four different medications, and guess what? The side effect of each medication brings on another <laughs> another ailment in which they give you another another uh, pill for. So one pill that you took, you know, just for you know a headache, this pill make your knees weak, right? So now they got to give you something for your knee. <laughs> and then when they give you something for your knee, one of them give you dry mouth or dry throat, you know. Now they got to give you a pill for that. This is how it works, brothers and sisters. They are forgers of, forgers of lies, physicians of no value. They have no value. The Bible tells you the first thing you must do is leave off from sin. That's the very first thing you must do. And then you do fasting and prayer. In conjunction with with charity work. See that brothers and sisters? That's what you do. You leave off from sin. 
You pray, you fast, you do charity work. That's what you do, brothers and sisters. And then the last part is the herbs. You find the herbs. The Bible tell you the Most High created the herbs out of the earth to keep us healed. You find the herbs. Because why? All these pills are just an alternative from the herbs. They did what? They isolated the isotope. They, they isolated certain parts of a plant and did what? And, you know, uh, and gave it and extracted it and made a pill out of it. But all of those pills came from something that came from the ground, brothers and sisters. It's a synthetic version that they've made of plants. See, this is crisis healthcare plan that we're dropping today, brothers and sisters. Maybe one of the most important lessons we've ever done to date. You're learning that the ecclesia, the church is what? It's a political party. It's a political structure. We are the diplomats for Christ's political party. And right now we're laying on the table his his, his uh, way of providing. His kingdom currency for provision. We're laying on the table his health care. This is how his health care works. And now what are we going to? Now we're going to his protection. Protection, right? How do we protect ourselves in this kingdom? How do government officials protect themselves? See, we're dropping it. Christ is teaching you my kingdom is different. From what your, you know, your little neighborhoods and Satan's kingdom. This is how my kingdom operates. Let's show you. We're going to John 18 and 28. To show you that Christ understood his kingdom was different from theirs. John 18 and 28. We're going to read 28 through 38, brothers and sisters. This is during the time where Christ was delivered up and on trial. John 18, verse 28. Then led they Christ from Cephas onto the hall of judgment, and it was early, and they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. So here it was, brothers and sisters. We know who Caiaphas was. He was the high priest. <laughs> he went from Caiaphas, and now it's about to go to Pilate, brothers and sisters. Okay? So, this was during the time of the Passover. That's when Christ was delivered up. Continue, brother. Verse 29. Pilate then went out unto them and said, What accusation bring ye against this man? So, they've now bringing, brought Christ up before Pilate. And Pilate is like, you know, why are you accusing this man? What accusation? Uh, what are you alleging? Verse 30. They answered and said unto him, If he were not a male factor, we would not have delivered him up unto thee. Now look at this. So they're like, if he wasn't a problem, we wouldn't have never brought him here. Then said Pilate unto them, Take ye him, and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put, a, put any man to death, that the saying of Christ might be fulfilled. So they knew that if they would have did it, that it would have been the fulfillment of the prophecy Christ was claiming was going to happen. Which that he was the Messiah who would have to die for his people. 
they were trying to, <laughs> they didn't want that to be seen, brothers and sisters. They didn't want people to believe that Christ was the Messiah. Verse 32, that the saying of Christ might be fulfilled, which he spake, signifying what death he should die. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again, and called Christ, and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Are you king of the Jews? Christ answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? So he's saying, did, did I say that, or did other people say that? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Christ answered, Listen to what he said, brothers and sisters, because this shows you that Christ understood the difference in kingdoms. My kingdom is not of this world. What did he say? My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight, that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from men. Now look at this. So Christ is already saying, I'm not confused. My kingdom is to come. If this was my kingdom, we'd be fighting right now. Okay? So here it is. He's letting them know that my kingdom has protection. Every kingdom has military. Okay? Read it one more time, brother. Verse 36. Christ answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight, that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Continue. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? So are you a king? Because, because remember, he said, this is not my kingdom. So he's saying, okay, well, are you a king then? Christ answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. That's what you said. To this end was I born. For this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Every one that is of the truth heareth my voice. Read. Pilate said unto him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews, and said unto them, I, I find him in no fault at all. Now, this is crystal clear, brothers and sisters, because Christ is telling them that, listen, my kingdom doesn't operate how you think it should. So that was the first thing, because they, uh, Christ was hard to understand, because he's saying that he came to take down the Roman Empire, but he doesn't fight. He says he has a kingdom, but he's operating as if, you know, he's just some regular guy. So they were confused, brothers and sisters. He's saying, listen, if this was my kingdom, I'll, there will be war going on right now. So they're confused. How is he a king? His kingdom is not visible, though. So Christ was here dropping it. That Listen, I have a kingdom. It's not visible at this time. Do you see that, brothers and sisters? Read verse 38, brother, please. Verse 38. Pilate said unto him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews, and said unto them, I find him in no fault at all. Now that's key. Right there. This was a white man right here saying, I find no fault in this man. I find no fault in this man. We need to show you something. Go to Proverbs 16 and 7. Here it was, a white man, saying, I don't find any fault with Christ. That precept links to Proverbs 16 and 7. What's that say, brother? 
Proverbs 16, verse 7. When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. Mm. You see that? Our application of biblical principles can mitigate the hostility of an enemy. See that? So, this is what I tell diplomats, okay? No matter what is going on, you are, I don't care if they cussed you or unless they put their hands on you. There's a way in which you can operate that would be pleasing to the Most High, okay? Now, you may have to humble yourself. In many of our people, that's the problem. They don't want to look soft or, or whatever the case may be. But Christ, but the author is saying, what, brother? Verse 7. When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. The path for peace with our enemies is paved by what? By righteousness and wisdom. Because here it was, Christ stood before Pilate. While our own people delivered him up. And he said, I find no fault with this man. Because why? Christ was a smooth man. So he knew what to say and what not to say. There's power, there's life and death in the power of the tongue. So Christ, he didn't say anything to offend Pilate or anything like that. You should learn from Christ how to speak in the presence of enemies, brothers and sisters. When a man's ways please the Most High, even his enemies be at peace with him. So, living in righteousness will attract peace and protection. That's the first thing. Because, see, we're learning about protection. Military. See? We're dealing with the military. First thing you have to know. Okay, the Most High said, if you, you do right, then even your enemies will be at peace with you. Okay? Let's go to 1 Peter 3 and 12. Because this is how Christ's kingdom operates, brothers and sisters. 1 Peter 3 and 12. 1 Peter 3 verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. But what? But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you? Read that again. Who is he that will harm you? If you be followers of that which is good. Examine the divine attentiveness to the righteous, brothers and sisters. Read the first part, brother. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. They're over who? The righteous. Look at that. So the language in this text describes continual guardianship and care. And his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. See, so the author here emphasizes how a life of piety contributes to what? To the length of days. Read it one more time, brother. Verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. He's against those who do evil. And who is he that will harm you, if ye be followers of that which is good? Look at that, brothers and sisters. The path of righteousness is the way that will preserve us from violence. We're reading the advantage of being, excuse me, we're reading the advantage of imitating what is good according to Christ. Brothers and sisters. See, we're talking about protection. See? We talked about healthcare. We talked about finances and provision. Now you're learning about protection, brothers and sisters. He's given a couple of principles that you need to know. He said, learn from the Messiah on how to operate. 
in, an, in a hostile environment. And guess what? If you are operating in a way or conducting yourself in a way that Christ or the Most High will be happy with, even your enemies will be at peace with you for that month, for, at that time, brothers and sisters. See, in the black community, amongst Israelites, if somebody don't like us, we got to be, you know, we got to have hot air in our chest. And we got to let them know that I ain't soft and, and this and that. But we're seeing something else from Christ. Christ is saying, listen, I can respect the person I know who doesn't like me. <laughs> See? So you're learning the first principles of protection. See that, brothers and sisters? We read verse 12 and 13 of the third chapter in 1 Peter. And we learned that according to this text, wickedness would not go unchallenged. He said, his eye is over they who are pious. Right? His face is against those who do evil and who will harm you if what? If we're followers of what's right, brothers and sisters, unless it's within his will. Let's go to Matthew, brother. Let's go to Matthew 26 because you're learning how kingdom protection works. The kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of God. Everything operates completely different from what you're used to. That's why Paul said, what? You must have a renewed mind. We're at Matthew 26 and 47. What's that say, brother? Matthew 26, verse 47. Now listen, brothers and sisters, because we're talking about kingdom protection. And while he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came. And with him a great multitude with swords. Now remember, this is when Judas delivered up Christ. Read that one more time. Verse 47. And while he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came. And with him a great multitude of swords and staves from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Jump to verse 50. Brothers and sisters, I want you to see how Christ responded. And Christ said unto him. What did he say? Friend. What did he call him? Friend. No, what did he call him? Friend. Friend. Wherefore art thou come? Then came they, and laid hands on Christ, and took him. Brothers and sisters, the first thing we have to establish is Christ still called him a friend. Even though he knew that he had came to take his life. You see how, you see Christ's character, brothers and sisters? See? Even when somebody couldn't be an enemy, brothers and sisters, you can still treat them as Christ would have you treat them. See? That's a level of maturity many don't find, brothers and sisters. I can personally know that a brother does not like me and still treat him with respect. That's okay. I know you don't really like me and all that, but I'm going to treat him with respect. Why? Because I'm a man of God. I'm a man of God. See? Read that one more time, brother. Matthew 26, verse 50. And Christ said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they, and laid hands on Christ, and took him. Now, we're talking about kingdom protection. And, behold, one of them which were with Christ stretched out his hand, and drew his sword, and struck a servant of the high priest, and smote off his ear. Now here it was. Judas brought these men to apprehend or cost Christ. 
One of the brothers with Christ, who we know was Peter, did what? He cut the ear off this brother. Continue. Then said Christ unto him, What did Christ say? Put up again, put up again thy sword into his place. For all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Continue, brother. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? What did Christ say? Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? Now look at that. He said, I have the disposal of more than twelve legions of angels, brothers and sisters. See? So Christ understood this. This is how his kingdom works. It's an invisible kingdom, brothers and sisters. And Christ said, listen, he picked the brother's ear up and said, brother, put your ear back on. Put your pick your ear up, man. (laughs) He said, you know, I can call down 12 legions of angels right now to tear this whole place apart. See, so Christ was not soft. But even the disciples didn't understand. They like this brother is a king. I'm not seeing the military. Here it is. I cut the brother's ear off. Christ <laughs> rebukes me pretty much. And then tells them, listen, I could st- don't think you're taking my life. I'm laying it down. Okay? See? You have to understand how kingdom protection works, brothers and sisters. You have to understand this. Especially his ambassadors. Especially... His diplomats, diplomats have to know where their protection is, okay? And we wanted to show you, they had swords and and all that. So just because you follow Christ don't make you soft, because those brothers were not soft. So that would be a miscalculation on your part to think because we follow Christ that we're soft, okay? Because the brothers that followed Christ were far from that. It was Peter then cut this brother's ear off. Christ is like, listen, we don't have to do all that. You know what I mean? I mean, if I wanted to stop this, I could call legions of angels right now. See, we need our people to understand this. This is where your protection is. Okay? Let us prove that. Let's go to Psalms 34 and 7. Psalms, the 34th chapter, the 7th verse. Psalms 34, verse 7. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him, and delivereth them. Read that again, brother. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him, and deliver them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Now look at that. The angels are employed in doing what? Defending kingdom citizens. Brothers and sisters. The hosts of heaven are entrusted with the care and guardianship of the Most High's government officials. See, Christ already understood this. That's why he said, listen, I can call legions right now. Read that from the top, brother, please. Verse 7. The angel of the Lord encampeth around about them that fear him. So there's angels around us right now. And delivereth them. If something happened, they have the charge to deliver you. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. See, so those who are faithful will be under the constant care of the Most High's angels, brothers and sisters. Political affiliates of the kingdom are afforded protection under the Constitution. 
See this? Church is not a religious term. It's a political term. It's a governmental political party. It's a, a diplomat party. A party of diplomats discussing what? Kingdom policy. See? And it's just like if you were part of the American government and you went to another country. Guess what? You got protection there. Not only do you have resources, they're paying for everything you have, right? <laughs> they're going to make sure you stay in the finest hotels. They're going to feed you. They're going to transport you. They're going to make sure you have people to protect you. The same way when these guys from China and different areas come to America. They have protection around them. And if something happened to them while they're on foreign soil, American soil, that's war. That's war. Because why? My prestigious diplomat was harmed while in your land. So Christ is saying, listen, I will call legions right now. Play with me. See? Let's prove that. Let's go to 2 Kings 6 and 15 because Christ understood this. You have to understand this. We're at 2 Kings 6 and 15 through 18. 2 Kings 6 and verse 15. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, and host compassed the city both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? Now here it was, Elisha was, there was an army, brothers and sisters, uh, surrounding our, our people. And Elisha, the, his servant, woke up and saw this. He saw an army surrounding us. Horses, chariots, many men. Continue. And he said, Elisha, what are we going to do? Verse 16, and he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. So here it is. Elisha, he had knowledge of this already, brothers and sisters. His, his mentee, the young brother, the servant that was with him, did not understand. He saw they were outnumbered. And what did Elisha say, brother? Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Continue. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes, that he may see. And the Lord opened his eyes of the young man, and he saw. And, behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. And when they came down to him, Elisha prayed unto the Lord, and said, Smite this people, I pray thee, with blindness. Now, brothers and sisters, I need you to examine verse 17, because... These scriptures give us a powerful example of the Most High's supernatural help in his law and action. Elisha asked that he could open, the Most High could open the young servant's eyes. When his eyes were open and he could see the spiritual realm, he saw millions of angels flying around with fires of char chariots of fire around him, with horses surrounding him. When his eyes was open, read that one more time, brother. Verse 17, And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see, that the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and, behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. See, so the invisible angelic protection became visible during that time. A heavenly army appears for protection. See that, brothers and sisters? 
The angels are commanded to extend their guardianship to us. It's an invisible kingdom, brothers and sisters. You have to operate on that. If you can only believe and trust what you can see, you can't please the Most High. You can't please the Most High at all because you can only believe in what you can see. Here it was. This young brother saw us being outnumbered. Elisha prayed and said, Father, open his eyes to take away the spirit of fear. When that young brother saw what was going on, you know, in the spiritual realm, he saw how many chariots there was, how many uh, seraphims there were. All these angels with fire and swords. Read verse 18, brother. Verse 18. And when they came down to him, Elisha prayed unto the Lord and said, Smite this people, I pray thee, with blindness. And he smote them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. So this army, brothers and sisters, this army that was surrounding them, brothers and sisters, he asked, can you, can you smite them with blindness? And they were able to escape, <laughs> brothers and sisters. So not only did they have all these angels, why? Because Elisha didn't want them to have to be destroyed. See, because those angels were there to cut, rip, and take apart. Elisha's like, listen, just let us escape, Father. Let, just let us get out of here. We don't want to shed no blood. Okay? See, this is what Christ was talking about when he said, I can call legions. You have to understand this now. You have to understand Christ's kingdom. First thing you learn about protection is if you handle things the way a kingdom ambassador should, even those who hate you will be at peace with you. That's the first thing you understand. Okay? You understand also that there's angels always around you. And as long as you're not sinning or doing anything wrong, they're charged to protect you. How many times you've been in a car accident or something transpired when really you should have been hurt and you were not? See? Let's go to Psalms 91 and 11. Brothers and sisters, we're here at Psalms 91. Why? Because we wanted to show you what Elisha understood. We wanted to show you what Christ understood. In 2 Kings, you saw that there was a young man that was with Elisha, who was petrified, who was scared because he saw the numbers of the foreign armies. Elisha prayed that his eyes were open. That way he can see the angelic realm that was always there to protect kingdom diplomats. Examine Psalms 91 and 11, brothers and sisters. Psalms 91 verse 11. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. So the text emphasizes the spirits who the Most High has appointed to mind the affairs of his diplomats, brothers and sisters. It says, he shall give his angels charge over us to keep thee in all of our ways. So as long as we're dealing in righteousness, brothers and sisters, as long as we're not sinning, we're protected. Read verse 9, brother, please. Verse 9. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation. Why is he doing this? Because we've made the Most High our refuge, our habitation which is where we live, brothers and sisters. Because of that, the Most High has appointed many angels 
for exclusive protection of his kingdom diplomats, brothers and sisters. It's our diplomacy that gives us right to a defense entrusted in what? In the heavenly host, brothers and sisters. This is what Christ's kingdom looks like. This is what government officials, kingdom government officials, should understand. Because why? We just laid out our campaign. While you have Republicans and Democrats, you know, fighting over votes, we're laying out crisis campaign right here. Who will you go for? Will you go for these heathens? Will you go for these men? Or will you go with Christ? Who told you how you would live. Told you how he would provide. Told you how he, you would stay healed. Told you how you would stay protected. Those are all the things that you would want to know. Those are all the things you would want to know. It's time to make a choice, brothers and sisters. Are you with the world or are you with Christ? The title of today's lesson was Kingdom Theology, brothers and sisters. Where we learned about how the kingdom operates. How Christ operated. In this world, knowing that there was an invisible kingdom, brothers and sisters. We learned about the church. We learned what the church's purpose was. The church, according to the Bible, is a political party. Okay? It's, it's part of government. It's not religious, brothers and sisters. So not only did we learn that, we learned how diplomats should operate. We encourage all of our brothers and sisters to go back on this lesson as many times as is needed, brothers and sisters, as many times as is needed. You have these words in your heart, brothers and sisters. We want to say, Kwam Yashrala. Kwam Yashrala. Sin no more. Sin no more.